Hi friends, my name is Ryan Cagle and you're listening to the Lessons from Dead Guys podcast, a work of exile liturgy. Today is our fourth installment in our Eastertide dedication to the women who have shaped the church, carried the gospel forward, and faithfully rebelled against the powers and principalities of this world. If you've not been listening through these last several episodes, it might come as a shock to you, but here at the Lessons from Dead Guys headquarters, aka my office, we're feminist. <laughs> we and we appreciate the work of the women that have shaped the church. And that's why we're doing this series. And so um strangely, or actually I guess not very surprisingly at all, listening um numbers have kind of dropped a little bit through this series and which is kind of disappointing, but I'm I'm not very surprised because I up until this point, I wouldn't say that um, my this podcast had particularly targeted a feminist crowd. But here we are, and we're feminists, and we're th- we thank God that Jesus is a feminist, and we thank God for the feminists who have led the church forward through the centuries. It's not a new term, and it's not a new phenomenon. Because so far on this journey, we've walked with Julian of Norwich as she taught us of the revelations of divine love and the mercy uh, that is God, and how there is no wrath in him but the cross is God's way of uh, curbing our wrath, not his. We spent time with Hildegard of Bingen and learned what it means to to see and experience the greening power of God, or what she would call the veriditas in our lives, the Holy Spirit animating us and animating all of creation around us. And we even have taken time to spend with the cross-dressing apostle Thecla, who had had been tried to be killed two times for refusing to marry and making this radical vow of chastity and learned under Paul. It's been a wild ride. Loudmouth nuns, prophets and dragon, desert mothers, and today's episode is no different. Today we're talking about a woman who defied all odds, a woman who had every reason, in my opinion, to reject the God of Christianity, but instead found Christ and gave her life to the true work of the kingdom of God, which is justice and liberation of her fellow man, woman, and creation. Her name was Isabella Bomfrey, but maybe you know her better as Sojourner Truth. A whirlwind of an abolitionist, a woman's rights suffragist, and prophet to the white supremacist Christianity that helped establish America. I really don't know where to begin with her. I'm in such awe of her. How, how, can anyone, how anyone could truly find Christ amidst the false Christ that was perpetuated by Europeans in this country, colonizers and governing officials, it, it, I, don't know, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how people like Sojourner Truth came to faith other than an act of God. It's mind-boggling, it's, and I'm bewildered. And my bewilderedness aside, I suppose we should cover some of her life, uh, because sadly, even if you've recognized the name, Sojourner Truth, I imagine you know little about her. And maybe that's just me talking from my position, but I can't ever recall even hearing about her until the last year or two. In school, I was never taught about her. I never learned about her in school or history books or even in college when I took classes on American history. I never learned anything about her, which is not really surprising, especially for me being educated in the backwoods of the heart of Dixie itself. But it it is upsetting because her life is beautiful, it's rocky, and somehow in the midst of it, she becomes this woman who is fiercely dedicated to the gospel. So let's start with some of her life. Uh, Isabella Bomfrey was born into slavery around 1797 in Swartkill, New York, the youngest of 12 children. 
At the age of nine, she was separated from her family and sold for $100 along with a herd of sheep to an English-speaking family where she was often beaten by her new owners for not understanding their commands because she had only known how to speak Dutch up until the age of nine, and she had never been exposed to English. She would go on to be sold two more times before ending up on the farm of John and Sally Dumont at the age of 14. Her time on the Dumont farm lasted 17 long years, and it was a time marked mostly by isolation from other African Americans and physical and sexual abuse at the hands of her masters. This is the time of her life when Sojourner recounted that now the war begun. That's how she described these years uh, on the Dumont farm as war, the beginning of war. During her time on the farm, Sojourner could go to build a temple, um, or Sojourner went on to build a temple in the woods out of brush, which was, um, she would go there to have conversations with God, and not the Christian God, just God. This was an African tradition that she recalled learning from her mother. And the state of New York uh, in 1799 began to legislate the abolition of slavery, although the process of emancipating those people enslaved in New York was not complete until 1827. DeMont had promised to grant truth or freedom a year before the state emancipation if she would, quote, do well and be faithful. However, he ended up changing his mind, refusing to let her go, and in late 1826, she escaped to freedom with her infant daughter, Sophia, who is one of her four children. She had to leave her other children behind because they were not legally freed in the emancipation order until they had saved or they had served as bound servants into their 20s. She later said, I did not run off for I thought that wicked, but I walked off believing to be believing to be all right. She found her way to the home of Isaac and Maria Van Wagenen in New Paltz. They took her in and her baby and she lived there in, in the New York until the New York uh, State Emancipation Act was approved a year later. So she just walks off this farm. She's been going into the woods and praying at this makeshift brush temple. And she's just, she, she said, she recalled that, I, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but that she, God told her to leave. And so after years of being there, she grabbed her baby and she left. Her stay with the Wagonins uh, would lead to a life-changing experience for her. For her. She be- in their home, she became a devout Christian, which was crazy, but these were the first, I guess, Christians to show her any mercy in her whole life. Um, she eventually moved to New York City and lived among a community of Methodist perfectionists or Pentecostals, men and women who met outside the church for ecstatic worship, emphasized living simply through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of went south. So she she converts, she becomes a Christian, and then um, she gets caught up in this, I guess, what eventually would be seen as a cult uh offshoot of these people and would be beaten by this guy and this so-called prophet um, and stuff like that, and which is really just disheartening. But while living in New York, she attended all these camp meetings, you know, the second, the whirlwind that was the second great awakening. Um, and she was exposed to Christian abolitionist voices, women rights suffragists. And so her her worldview got a little bigger. She she began to make connections, and then at these camp meetings and in you know these church circles, she would go on to establish herself as a powerful preacher and lecturer. Though she has, had never learned to read or write, she was very well spoken. 
And in 1843, she was, uh, as she claimed, called in the spirit to leave New York and travel east or at first into the woods in some measure, but travel east to preach uh, about embracing Jesus and equality. And she, she did. So she left. She said the spirit called her and that she must go. So she left everything and she went. And, um, and this was cool. This is when she prayed and asked for God to give her a new name. This was the birth of Sojourner Truth as we come to know her. No longer was she Isabella, but now she is Sojourner Truth. Her name, this name that she, she asked God to give her, she felt, you know, it embodies her role as this itinerant, wandering, you know, justice preaching prophet, you know, this, and she has this pre, she had this preoccupation with truth and justice, which how could she not, right? In her mission to teach people to embrace Jesus. So her name, Sojourner Truth, embodied those things. It embodied the fact that she was this wandering prophet, that she was focused on justice, and she was trying to lead people to embrace the true Jesus. Here's a quote, and um, I think it was it's kind of at it's added dialogue, but about this name change. My name was Isabella, but when I left the house of bondage, I left everything behind. I wasn't going to keep anything of Egypt on me, and so I went to the Lord and asked him to give me a new name, and the Lord gave me Sojourner. Because I was to travel up and down the land, showing the people their sins and being a sign unto them. Afterwards, I told the Lord I wanted another name. Because everybody else had two names, and the Lord gave me truth because I was to declare the truth to the people. She seemed to hold nothing back. Like if you, when you study her and you look in, if you look into her life, she holds nothing back. She had a very prophetic, you know, she very, she very much so embodied a very prophetic style of preaching, and it was she declared judgment of God on these people who, you know, white supremacists, these people who continue to oppress and deny equality to women and African Americans. So she was very bold. I mean, she did things that were unheard of at this time. This is pre-Civil War, and she's going around, and she's preaching, and she's speaking out against this injustice and all these different things. Um, and in her journey, she became acquainted, uh, acquainted with abolitionists and women suffragists such as Frederick Douglass, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, and one thing I, I thought was interesting, her and Fred, Frederick Douglass kind of butted heads. Uh, he didn't believe she was like cultured enough, um, and things like that. And he was, he was, it came to the point, which is unsurprisingly, and, and, I have no judgment for it, but this idea that, you know, black Amer- black slaves should seize their freedom by force. And it said that um, Sojourner Truth looked at her and she said, is God gone? Is, you know, is God gone? Is, are we going to resort to these things? As if God's not here and God's not hearing our cries and God's not going to liberate us. And so she seemed to have this anti-war and anti-violence mindset to her, at least from this story anyway. And I thought it was funny that her and Frederick Douglass you know, butted heads. And even, you know, even though she befriended Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, they differed on a lot of things. And this was one thing that really stood out to me that's important today is intersectionality. Because a lot of the women, suffragists of Sojourner's Day, they were they were worried about white women having the right to vote and white women having rights. They weren't worried about all women. And that's something that her and Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton kind of butted heads on as well, because they seem to be of the position that, you know, if they, it was, it was all or nothing. So if women didn't get it, they didn't care if 
black people were free. And so if black, you know, if women didn't get equal uh, treatment, then they didn't care if anyone got equal treatment. And so that was kind of early on, you know, um, this example of a lack of intersectionality, which is something we desperately struggle with today. We see it every day. There's a difference. And there's a difference in how people are treated, even in circles like feminist circles. Black women are not treated the way white women are treated in, in feminist circles and things like that. But uh, Sojourner, she's just a great example of a woman on the margins of culture, church, and society who stood her ground for justice. I mean, I like I said, I'm in awe at her just to begin with that she could even mentally conceive ever even believing in Jesus. This God who had all her whole life been associated with her oppressors, her enslavers, that was their God. But here she is, she has this encounter with God. She has this encounter, she's led off the farm after having these, these times at this, you know, this makeshift temple or tower, you know, like makeshift altar area in the woods out of brush. And she comes to encounter God and she becomes uh, inflamed by the Holy Spirit, right? Her heart just burns in her and she stands for justice because she sees Jesus as who he is and not who the enslavers have made him out to be. One of her most notable speeches is one she gave in 1851 at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. The speech became widely known during the Civil War by the title Ain't I a Woman, a title that was kind of derived from a variation of the original speech, which was rewritten by someone else using stereotypical Southern dialect. But we know it's not original because Sojourner was very proud of her Northern her northern English. So she didn't use southern stereotypical dialect. Even though she was uneducated, she was a very well-spoken woman. And so there's two versions. If you go and look up the speech, there's two versions. And I'm going to read the, the earliest known version that doesn't have the southern dialect to it. I want to say a few words about this matter. I am a woman's rights... I have such, I have as much muscle as any man and can do as much work as any man. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed, and can any man do more than that? I have heard much about the sexes being equal. I can carry as much as any man and can eat as much too if I can get it. I am as strong as any man that I know, and as for intellect, all I can say is, if a woman have a pint and a man a quart, why can't she have her little pint full? You need not be afraid to give us our rights, for fear we'll take too much, for we can't take more than our own pint will hold. The poor, the poor men seem to be in all or be all in confusion and don't know what to do. Why, children, if you have women's rights, give it to her, and you will feel better. You will have your own rights, and they won't be so much trouble. I can't read, but I can hear. I have heard the Bible, and I have learned what the Eve calls man to sin. Well, if women upset the world, do give her a chance to set it right, right side up again. The lady has spoken about Jesus, how he never spurned a woman from him, and she was right. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to him with faith and love and besought him to raise their brother, and Jesus wept, and Lazarus came forth. And how came Jesus into the world? Through God who created him and the woman who bore him. Man, where was your part? Women are coming up blessed be God, and a few of the men are coming up with them, but man is in a tight place. The poor slave is on him. Woman is coming on him. He is surely between a hawk and a buzzard. Man, what is your part? To think that a woman got up and said that during this time, 
But even more so to think that a black woman got up, a former slave, and and looked at this crowd of people and declared to these men and women that a man had no part in the incarnation of God. And that it must have sounded like a, th- a direct threat to the patriarchal society of her day. It would sound like a threat to the patriarchal society of this day. This is a society that argued for the supremacy of men based on the fact that Christ was born a man. But Sojourner, in a long line of rebellious Christian women, reminds us that the virgin birth dismantles patriarchy rather than reinforces it. Reading Sojourner Truth made me think of something uh, someone I follow on Twitter, the Episcopal priest Broderick Greer, said um, that, that just really echoes Sojourner's point to me. He said one time in a tweet, God used a teenage girl and a man of questionable paternity to relaunch the project of the of cosmic liber- liberation. Patriarchy need not apply. And so as soon as I read Sojourner Truth words there, I thought of his words because he, you know, he was getting at the same thing that patriarchy is not the gospel, and it has never been the gospel, and to use Jesus to reinforce that and to suppress women and, and other people is to completely miss Jesus altogether. So Jordan had such an unlikely conversion. I mean, how, like I said earlier, how could any enslaved person come to know the God that her enslavers claim to know is beyond my human reasoning. It's surely nothing but divine. It's nothing but grace. Her life is a, in in my opinion, is a window into the heart of God. It's it's a picture of a life dedicated to justice and mercy, a life walked humbly despite all the things that she that could have pushed her to be an awful, mean spirited person. She didn't. She chose love, and sometimes love means telling people to sit down and shut up. Love means telling men that they need to get in line and let women be free. And then sometimes love is looking a white man in the face and saying, you do not have a monopoly on God. She lived a life that embodied the radical call to follow Jesus. And I don't know how she did it (laughs) other than the Holy Spirit, other than being empowered by God. One thing she said that was just another very like in your face, kick your teeth in kind of thing that I loved that I read in one of her speeches, and I believe it was from 1851 as well. She said, Oh, friends, pity the poor slaveholder and pray for him. It troubles me more than anything else what will become of the poor slaveholder and all his guilt and all his impotence. God will take care of the poor trampled slave, but where will the slaveholder be when eternity begins? I mean, how else could someone other than by the Spirit of God, who has suffered the way she did, say these things to her about her enslavers, about these people? She prays for them. She's troubled about their lives. But in the same sense, she's very, very bold to say that God's going to take care of the poor slave, but the slaveholder, eh, she's, you know, she worries about what's going to happen to them. But at the same time, it was, it was showing that she, that she saw that they would they would open their eyes to the gospel that they would be changed by the Jesus they claim to have known, but also it was it was a kick to the teeth. You know, she's basically telling them, you know, you're you know, hell hell is behind the door, and and so her life was so bold. It 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 blows my mind the way she lived her life and the fact that she was so dedicated despite. Despite everything that happened to her, despite being beaten, mistreated, and owned like property, being raped, being abused, uh, it is nothing short of divine grace. 
that compelled her to be the woman that she was. And I'm thankful for her voice, and I'm thankful that we have this example for her, and I'm so disappointed that I'm just now, in the last year or so, learning about her and her life and the things that she's done. So I hope that you'll be encouraged by her, maybe to be a little more intersectional, maybe to see that there's complexities in seeing liberation come to those around us. And that you would be moved by her example to learn what it means to pray and worry for the very people that have abused you and hurt you and have sought your destruction. But not in a way that you make yourself uh, you know, available to be hurt by them again, I guess. But um, in a way that you can love them the way God loves them and hope that they'll come to their senses. I know that's, that's, that's my biggest, I guess, draw from this is that... I'm so quick not to not to worry and not to even think about the people that I disagree with on Facebook, much less the people that hate me, right? When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, I, I have a hard time loving the people that love me, much less my enemies. And so people like Sojourner Truth, women who have dedicated their lives to this radical gospel of Jesus, they push me. And I hope I hope her life will push you. I hope you'll look more into her life. Um and so I mean how else than by the Spirit of God? How else? God is great. I, I just reading her life and reading about her story, I just, I'm in awe. I'm bewildered. As I said earlier, I'm absolutely bewildered. So thanks for listening, guys. I hope this episode has been uh, just great for you, and I hope it'll push you. It'll challenge your, your thinking and your worldview. Grace and peace to you.